Okay, great. So um, we are in a mini series. We shoehorned in just between, <laughs> woo, just between uh, before we start our bigger series, looking through the book of Hebrews. We're looking at church planting, why we do it, why we're called to it. Last week, we looked at God's call upon our lives, the one who stirs us out of our comfort uh, and asks us to go. That might mean go overseas, that might mean go to another town, that might mean simply cross the road and speak to our neighbor, might be even cross the room and speak to a person the other side, but it's a call to go. And we looked at Abraham and how he responded in faith to that call. And then we also looked at Joshua as well, that fact that we can respond to that call with boldness, And with courage. Why? Because God has promised to be with us. And I think through this, we will increasingly see that God loves to outwork his plans and his purposes through people, through his church, through you and me empowered by his spirit to do great works. Just want to echo what John brought about Baldwin's family in the Philippines. It is deeply humbling. The challenges they have faced and still face and their unshakable, joyful, thankful, grateful heart in worship is just astounding. And I just love that. Just being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do. This morning, we're going to focus on the early church. And if you know your New Testament, you'll know that the early church was obsessed with church planting. We're going to zoom in on just one church, though, this morning. And that is the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch. And we'll see that actually church planting is not just a church growth strategy, You know, six steps to grow your church. Step one, plant another one. No, it's not a church growth strategy for the sake of expanding your own franchise, God forbid. But actually, church planting is simply a necessity. It's simply the natural outcome of people sharing their faith as they go. As they go. Nothing more complicated than that, particularly in times of great upheaval, as we'll see. I think it's very poignant in our particular place in history now, when we are facing so much uncertainty, you know, whether that's Brexit, all the unanswered questions, all the unknowns, all the promises, and just all the, just the absolute guesswork with it all. Uncertainty. Whether it's the rise of knife crime, whether it's the rise of us reading reports that now the greatest threat with terrorism at least is the far right, the rise of nationalism increasingly in our country. If we go more globally, we have rising tensions, America and Iran, just, just so much uncertainty going on. I mean, even global warming, of course, we had those protests, didn't we, about raising awareness about global warming. We cannot go on like we are. <laughs> There's so much uncertainty, isn't it? 
extreme weather patterns, all that sort of stuff. It breeds anxiety in many. And really, my take home this morning is I hope we get this. The truth is God works his purposes most dramatically when the world seems to be most in turmoil. We see that time and time again through scripture, through history. When the world is shaking, God is proved unshakable. And I love some of the songs, all the songs we were singing, to be honest, because they were all talking about the faithfulness of God, the victory of Jesus, the fact that we are standing on solid ground in Christ. The world might be in turmoil. The world might be full of anxiety and, and unknown, but we can know that security and that strong stability in Christ. His kingdom advances not despite the circumstances, but actually in and through the circumstances. So we said last week, we can trust them. We can trust him. We can lead people to the, the rock that is higher than I. That scripture read out earlier. You know, people are questioning their foundations. People are questioning where their security lies and God uses times like these to open doors of faith, to sow seeds of the gospel. But it does call for us, his church, to actually be bold in spirit and to be clear about the message that we bring and to be united in that mission, to be bold in spirit clear about the message, and united in mission. And those three things are three very clear things we see in the church in Antioch. So let's just turn to Acts chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles or on your phones, or if you haven't, it should come up on the screen. There we go. Reading from verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So the context, of course, of this was actually a period of great upheaval. After Stephen's martyrdom, after Stephen's murder, basically people went on the rampage, persecuting followers of Jesus. It was a deeply unsettling time. It was a, a painful time. To be a follower of Christ meant very literally leaving your familiar 
surroundings, your home, your friends, your livelihoods, and running for your lives. You know, we saw with Abraham last week, didn't we? God told him to leave the familiar. But here we see people actually having to escape persecution. And yet, God was in this. God was in this. In the turmoil, in the confusion, in the probable questions of, God, where are you? This isn't supposed to be as how it is. God was in this. I don't know about you, but there's only been a few times I have had to run for my life. Anyone here had to run for their lives? I'm not talking about trying to catch the bus, all right? Anyone here had to run for their lives? Stuart, are you free to share? Sorry? Army related. Sounds pretty serious. Anyone else? I've, I've, only, I've only, well, twice had to run for my life. Once when I was arrested by crooked police in Tanzania, um, I've told this story before, I'm sure, so I won't bother telling you again. You can ask me afterwards. But um, yeah, I managed to get out of the car after being threatened. And uh, yes, they said, yes, the last people we, we, we arrested are still in jail. Six years later, we beat them and all that stuff. God opened the door literally of the car. I ran for my life. God got me out. Amazing. The, the other time I had to run for my life was when I was being chased by a hippo. Okay, yeah, it might be more comical. Actually, it was very funny, according to my friend who was watching on the other side of the riverbank, laughing hysterically. But can I just say hippos kill more people in Africa than any other animal? This was probably more comical, yes, but more deadly, okay? So there's only been a couple of times I've had to run for my life. Um, hippos run fast. I was a lot younger. I don't think I'd be able to outrun it now, but there we go. The thing is, though, when you are running for your life, when you are scarping, when you are getting out of a situation, your natural response is to lie low, to hide, to melt into the background. There's nobody here. That's our natural response. And yet this is not what we see with these early Christians. They were running for their lives because of their faith, but yet they were so full of the Holy Spirit, they couldn't stop talking about Jesus the very reason for their persecution. They were sharing to anyone and everyone who would listen because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that Jesus said would give you boldness to witness. Here we see it. I'm clearing out because we can't live here anymore, but listen, can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> full of boldness, even on the run, in their mess, in their trouble, as they were fleeing from their very lives, they were sharing Jesus as they went. You know, and I, I, I just thinking, so often we think of evangelism as I've, I, I can evangelize once I've got my life together. When I am a good representative of a Christian, then I will tell others about Jesus, you know, because then I'll just shine, you know, yeah, I've got my life together. That, that is a lie, can I just say? That is an absolute lie. These guys did not have their lives together. It wasn't a very good sales pitch. Hi, I'm running for my life because of my faith. Do you, do you want to share my faith? They didn't have a lot to offer except for Jesus, who is everything, who is everything. And what they were modeling was exactly that. I might have lost everything, but I have gained 
everything in Christ. And as a result, what was the result? We see here, verse 21, the Lord's hand was on them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They simply went, they shared, people responded, they gathered. Very simple. You know, these were not the great apostles. These were normal men, women, and children just telling their story, describing the reason for their joy of salvation, describing the grace of God upon their lives. Amazing, amazing. Even in the most disruptive of times, God works through us if we're prepared to speak out for him. And so they gathered, the church of Antioch was born. We know it was a a church full of people from all walks of life, very diverse church. People who knew the cost, counted the cost, considered Jesus worth it. But it also turns out that Antioch was actually a really strategic place. It was actually 10 times bigger than Jerusalem. Had a, the population was 10 times the size of Jerusalem. It was a significant city. It probably was third most influential city in the world after Rome and probably Alexandria itself. Seriously influential city. Yet, I am sure that is not the first thing that was on these fleeing Jews' minds, these early believers, as they sought refuge. They weren't thinking, ah, let's go somewhere strategic and plant a church. They were running for their lives, yet they were just sharing Jesus. Yet it was on God's heart. It was on God's mind. God works things out. You know, we might just say, I don't know what's going on, but if we continue to be bold and engage and be faithful to the call of God upon our lives, listen, God directs our steps. God directs our steps. God had it in hand. I want a church in Antioch. Off you go. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He has a plan, and it is always bigger than ours. We have a tendency to limit God is the God of the impossible. At a recent prayer meeting um, with New Ground leaders as a church, we're part of a, a wider community of churches called New Ground. And we were encouraged to approach church planting with this uh, acronym PEG, PEG. And it was kind of in reference to the, the, the passage in Isaiah 54, enlarge the site of your tent, let your tent curtains be stretched out, do not hold back, lengthen your cords and drive your pegs deep. It's a prophetic word about growth and about blessing and about increased influence. And, and just as they took these PEGs, P standing for prayer, it starts with prayer It continues with prayer. Prayer is right the way through all that we do. And we know the early church prayed. And I'm sure they prayed even more intensely as they were being basically booted out of their town in Jerusalem. They prayed. E stands for engage. Again, these these early believers, they, they engaged with whoever would listen to them chatting about Jesus. They, they didn't just hide themselves away. They got involved. They engaged with others. And then G is gather. 
As people responded to the gospel, so they gathered as church. That's kind of what church means, gathering. It's a natural outcome of people full of the Holy Spirit simply sharing their story, sharing their faith. And and really that is our approach. Particularly as we look to Epsom, we are looking as a church, we feel this is the next step God is, is calling us to, to plant into Epsom. And really, that's what we're doing. We've been praying. We continue to pray. We engage with people on the ground as we go. And we gather as God draws people to himself. It's nothing more complicated than that. It's a natural outcome of Christians being salt and light in the places that God has called them to. So they were a bold church. They were full of the Holy Spirit and just witnessing wherever. But also, their message was crystal clear. And this message was that the gospel, this this salvation in Jesus, was for all. Jew and Gentile alike. Because up until this point, particularly the Jews that had come from Jerusalem and obviously had their prejudices, they had their temple systems that they had been indoctrinated by where you couldn't even mix with a Gentile if you were a Jew. You were separate. They still had all that baggage and so they still thought, well, the gospel is is for God's people, isn't it? And so that's why we read some of them just only spoke the good news to the Jews. And yet... Even before God gave Peter the vision in Cornelius' house, you can read it at the beginning of chapter 11, this revelation that the gospel was for everyone, not just for Jews. Even before that, we see people, particularly from Cyprus and Cyrene, telling, sharing Greeks, non-Jews, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what? They responded, they got saved, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Evidence of salvation. And news spread fast. So much so that word got to Jerusalem, the church still there. And Barnabas was sent to investigate. And I just love that passage when he saw the evidence of God's grace. I wonder what that looked like. I guess it's lives transformed, isn't it? It's lives transformed. Lives that were displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Evidence of God's grace. And he rejoiced. He rejoiced. He saw what truth does. Truth changes lives. The power of the gospel. We, I think increasingly we need to just take hold of the truth that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Not your together life. Not even your eloquent arguments and words. It's just the truth. Gospel truth. That's what he saw. And you know, I've been looking afresh at the well-known passage in Isaiah 61, the, the passage that Jesus stood up and read in the temple as he announced the start of his ministry. Very well-known passage. The, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Who to? to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness to the prisoner, to proclaim the Lord's favor. You know, it goes on to comfort all who mourn, to provide for all those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty 
instead of ashes. It is just a wonderful declaration of what we are called to be and to do. The message that we proclaim. This is what it is. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of despair. This is the good news. This is the message. They were clear about this message. But listen, as I was reading Isaiah 61, it just... it. It flashed up again when it goes on to say, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord, for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Did you get that? They, the very ones we've been proclaiming good news, I'm getting excited, the very ones we've been proclaiming good news to, the very ones who are broken and downhearted and mourning, they are the ones who are now rebuilding and restoring. I love that. Not just us. The very ones who are broken are the very ones who end up restoring. That is what the gospel does. It takes the broken and makes them into restorers of cities. When you speak to your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, when you pray for those who you know are so broken, when we see videos like that of people who are basically being totally victimized and abused, and they will become restorers of cities. They will be the ones who will herald the good news. I love that. This is what we see in Antioch. This mixed rabble of people made up of Gentiles who were once outcasts. The Bible says those who were far off, God brought near. They were classed as far off. You're not included in, in God's chosen race. That's the Jews were very clear on that. And yet God has brought them near. They were once outcasts. But also this church was made up of, of Jews who were literally outcasts. Christian Jews who were outcasts in their own city. Brought into family in Jesus Christ. God redeems the most broken and shapes them into restorers and rebuilders. No one is beyond redemption. And this showed particularly in the way this church welcomed Saul, or Paul as he became known. Don't forget, probably quite a few of these people were in Antioch because of him. They were fleeing from him and his mission as persecutor of the Christians. But you know what? I love the fact that Barnabas is open to that as well. As he drew these Gentiles together, he knew that he couldn't do this on his own. He knew he needed help, and he knew a guy who had a mandate on him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That was Paul. And so he went to get him. And the church welcomed him. That is challenging, isn't it? I don't know if you can think of the person who you would most kind of run from, really. And yet, accept him because you see the grace of God upon their life. 
It's a huge, huge moment for this church. They were willing not just to accept him, but be led by him and be taught by him. That's incredible grace, isn't it? Former persecutor of Christians, Pharisee of Pharisees, now apostle to the Gentiles. I love that. They were clear about the message. They were absolutely given to being taught, and we need to, we need to be clear on this. Teach us well. Even though you were once our enemy, teach us well. We, we are passionate about being clear about this message. We don't want to go astray. Teach us well. They were committed to that. I think it's really important for us. Bold in spirit, clear on the word of God, the message of the gospel. But thirdly, they were also united in mission. We, we obviously saw that sense of unity in the way Jew and Gentile were, were, were coming together but also, Antioch was a real cosmopolitan city. It was a hotbed of all sorts of different nationalities. I mean, it was huge, so you expect that. Much like London, draws people from all walks of life. And what I love is that it's also represented in the leadership. In Acts 13, we get a little insight. We've got Barnabas, who we know is from Cyprus. We've got Simeon, who most commentators say came from a region in North Africa. Got Lucius from Cyrene, Manian from Palestine, and we're told that he actually grew up with Herod. So he was, he had, you know, he came from a posh family. So you would have had aristocracy, slaves, Jew, Gentile, mixed bag. And then you have Paul, former murderer, persecutor of Christians. What a lovely mixed bag. What a wonderful representative of the way Jesus unites us, whatever our backgrounds and past. And I really think this is something, and while I've been on sabbatical, I've been really looking into the whole thing of inclusion. What does that look like for us as a church? And more than ever, I'm just stirred that we can't just let it happen. We have to be proactive at being inclusive in our language, in the, way we, in the very way we are. You know, we have a culture that is increasingly nationalistic. We have tribalism. We have just this sense of separation. And we need to break that down. In church, we need to model something of beautiful inclusion. Be prepared to push past those personal prejudices that are actually kind of rooted in ignorance. We need to be proactive in that to see the sort of church that we see in Antioch. But they weren't just united with each other as local church. They were also united in mission with the global church as well. And later on, it talks about a prophet coming, prophesying about a famine that's going to strike the land. Historically, we know there were several famines around this time kind of tallies, and, and yet even without asking, this church in Antioch take up an offering for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Again, we've been talking about taking up an offering for our brothers and sisters in the Philippines. What a privilege! They never asked us. We want to do it as a gift. And I mean, these guys, exactly the same. Without being asked, they took up an offering, and they didn't have much connection Remember, this is a predominantly Gentile church. They wouldn't have had any connection with the Jerusalem church. 
Those that did would have been ones that had actually fled from Jerusalem and were trying to start over. I've lost everything. I'm going to have to start up business and find new homes. And they wouldn't have been, you know, surplus cash lying around. Every penny they would have needed. And yet, they gave. They were prepared to give generously to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem for the sake of the gospel because they were united in mission and in heart. I mean, you can see why Luke just writes such a glowing report of of Antioch. Not just because it was his home church, by the way, but actually because it was a fantastic model of the grace of God transforming people from all walks of life. And again, we read on. They weren't just generous with their finances. They were also generous with their people. They didn't hold things close to themselves. They were so united in mission. They had such a global vision. They released their leaders. When we read in Acts 13 verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, two very good things to do, by the way, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Just like that. They could have so easily kept the vision nice and tidy, nice and small. Listen, we've got a great thing going here. Hey, we're a model church. Let's let's just keep this unity. We don't want to send people off. We've got great teachers. I mean, fancy having Paul as your teaching pastor. A bit like... And yet they were prepared to give. You know, we're beautifully united. We're just loving this. Why ruin it? Why split us up? Why send them out? Because they had a bigger vision than themselves. They had a global vision. And I think one of the key benefits of being part of a bigger movement than ourselves is, is it stops us becoming small-minded. It stops us having a limited vision. Yes, God has placed River Church in Sutton for a reason. And this is our primary place of influence. But listen, it doesn't stop there. God has called us to be a resource and to be a blessing and to be an influence far wider than Sutton. And over the years, we have seen that as we have sent people out. This is just the next stage into Epsom. And who knows where else after that? Well, God does. Are we willing to continue to just say, God, we're just stewards of what you have. If you tell us to give, we will give. Because of a global vision. I think one of the reasons why I wanted to particularly focus on Antioch is because when we were planted right back in February 2004, God gave us a prophetic word that we were called to be an Antioch church. A church bold in the Spirit of God. A church absolutely clear on the message, the Word of God. But also a church that had a global vision and was united in that mission. And I suppose for us, the question is, how will we respond in 2019? Will we give ourselves to unity in heart and mind? Will we give ourselves 
to the Spirit and just say, God, just give me those opportunities to speak. Help me to push past fear and my own limitations. Help me to, to be clear on the truth of your gospel and the power of the gospel. God continues to open doors of faith to those around us. So let's be a people of faith. Let's, let's emulate the people of Antioch. Yes, the, the, the processes and kind of on the ground it will look very different, but it's their heart. It's their heart that we need to capture and we need to develop and we need to foster, and I think we already do. I'd just love to encourage us in this new season, let's step out again and let's trust the rock that is higher than us. Amen.